Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you out this morning on this rainy, cool, chilly, cold, rainy day, whatever it is going on out there. Um, the weather here just can't seem to make up its mind. It goes from sunny and warm and gorgeous to raining and cold and whatever. So it's great to have all you guys out this morning. Um, for those of you who were here last week, we started talking about a series called Lenses. And what we are looking at is the story of Joseph. Now, I kind of explained to you guys last week that you're getting the Cliff Notes version of the story of Joseph. And for those of you who don't know what Cliff Notes are, which is mostly my youth group, um, it's how we wrote papers before we had Google. Um, yes, amen. So it was this great little book that would, would take an entire book or an entire textbook and break it down into like, you know, 25 pages, the key points. So that's kind of what we're doing today. So I just don't want anybody to get the misunderstanding that we're talking about every piece of the story of Joseph's life, because unfortunately, we just don't have the time for that. And this was originally going to be a three-part series, but as you guys know, uh, John Reed's going to be here to speak to us next week, so I had to take three weeks and combine it down into two weeks. So um, we did move kind of fast last week, and we're going to move kind of fast today as well. So thank you guys so much for being here. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning, and let's jump in and talk about where we left off last week. So just in case you weren't here last week, let me bring you up to speed. We talked about um, that regardless of our beginnings, that God can still use us. So we talked a little bit about Joseph's family life. Now, we did leave out some things last week as well because we really focused on Joseph and his 10 brothers, but there was also a sister in the home as well. And we talked about the fact that Joseph grew up with two mothers in the household, but there were actually two mothers that came before that as well. Um, somebody said to me after church last week, which I thought was kind of catchy, it was four by 12. It was four mothers for 12 children. Um, so we talked a little bit about the background story so we could kind of get the idea of what lens that Joseph was seeing through. So he had uh, an interesting home life, needless to say. And we talked about the fact that regardless of where we come from, God can still use us to advance the kingdom and to do his work. Now, that's not to say that God has a very specific plan and he's managing every single day of your life, but that God has a plan for us. He gives us talents, he gives us abilities, and he kind of pushes us down the road. Now, of course, we as humans have free will, and there's this thing called Satan who also kind of, kind of tends to kind of intervene. So our, our path may not be a straight path. It's more of a winding path. But as we've seen with Joseph from what we've already talked about, God can still use us to do amazing things, just like he did with Joseph. So we talked a little bit about his home life. Um, we talked about the fact that we shouldn't be boastful, because if you remember from last week, where Joseph really got into trouble was he was already kind of the favorite son. Not that we have favorite children, right? But he was already kind of the favorite son, and then he, he goes to his brothers and says, oh, I had this dream, and, and I'm going to be rulers over all of you guys. And it wasn't the fact that he'd had these dreams, because the dreams came from God. It was the fact that he was very boastful and very prideful about it, and it made his brothers even angrier. So we see what happened is, is that he made his brothers even angrier. So what they did is one day when they were out in the field, they took him, they tore his coat, his, his amazing Technicolor dream coat, if you will, and they threw him into a, a cistern or, or a, a basically a, a water hole is basically what it would come down to. So he had made them so mad based on being boastful and prideful that they actually took it to the extreme when they threw him in a hole. So... We talked about the fact that we shouldn't be boastful. And then we talked about the fact that how we react to our situations. Because here Joseph had had this dream that God had given him about these amazing things that he was going to do. And here he finds himself in the bottom of a hole. 
And we talked about how the fact that sometimes our lives feel that same way, that we feel like we have a plan and we're on track, and then something happens to derail that plan. So we talked about how we react to our situations, and then we talked about how kind of where we ended our story last week, and you guys probably all know this story for the most part, but David is working in the palace, and the Pharaoh's wife comes to him and basically wants to sleep with him. He does not. She makes up a lie about him, and he finds himself in prison. So that's kind of the short version, again, the cliff notes, if you will, version of the story, the first half of the story of Joseph. So we're going to kind of pick up there today and talk about what happens next. So Joseph has been in prison now for some time, and this is a story about faith, patience, and obedience, because Joseph finds himself in prison. Now, we know as we read through the New Testament especially that this is a familiar spot, right, for a lot of Jesus' followers and even Jesus' apostles. Matter of fact, Paul did a lot of his writing from prison, right? So this wouldn't have been an all that uncommon thing, but we see even as early as Genesis that even though we did the right thing and he did exactly what he should have done and he followed God, we don't always get those immediate consequences that we're hoping for. So we find Joseph in prison, And the Pharaoh's cupbearer and the Pharaoh's baker find themselves in prison as well. So here's Joseph, and and he's sitting in this prison cell, and he's with the cupbearer and the baker, and these would have been two fairly high officials in, in Pharaoh's palace, and they have dreams. And they have no way of interpreting these dreams because they don't really understand it. And Joseph says, well, God is actually the one that interprets dreams, but uh, tell me what you got, and I'll do, my, do the best that I can. So these two men had two very different dreams. The cupbearer had a dream about three vines and that he was picking the grapes off the vines and squeezing them into the Pharaoh's cup. And it was kind of this nice, good, kind of, so to speak, dream of a good result. Well, the baker, as we know, had a different dream. He had a dream that he had three baskets on his head and that a bird came and ate from the first basket. So Joseph interpreted these two dreams, and they were two very different dreams with two very different results, but they all revolved around this three-day time period. Because you see, from the time that they had these dreams or the time that Joseph interpreted these dreams, it was three days away from the Pharaoh's big birthday celebration. So that three is actually kind of significant. So we're actually going to pick up our story, and if you want to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, we're actually going to pick up, this is after Pharaoh has his party, he has reinstated the cupbearer, just as Joseph had foretold that he would based on the dream, and he's actually executed the baker, again, just as Joseph had predicted in the dream. So now Pharaoh is having dreams of his own. And he can't understand the dreams. And Pharaoh has called in everyone that he can think of to try to interpret these dreams. He's called in his magicians. He's called in his advisors. And nobody can seem to interpret this dream for Pharaoh. So where we're going to kind of pick up in the story in the scripture is this is the cupbearer talking to Pharaoh. Because remember, the cupbearer has been reinstated, right? Now, the one thing that Joseph had asked of the cupbearer was, remember me when you regain your place of honor. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the story of Joseph, we know that that didn't happen, right? He did get reinstated, and he is back to being the Pharaoh's cupbearer, but he didn't remember Joseph until now. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 10. It says, Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker 
in the house of the captain of the guard. It says, each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. It says, now a young Hebrew, Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. We're actually going to jump ahead to verse 14. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. It says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. It says, I cannot do it, Joseph re replied to Pharaoh. It says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So I love this verse because what we see is the Pharaoh has now called for Joseph because even though he put him in prison, now he needs him. So he's bringing him back, right? So Joseph gets cleaned up and he goes to Pharaoh. And I love the fact that even though Joseph has been sitting in prison, what does he do? He points it back to God. He says, I can't interpret the dream, but God can, and God's going to use me to do it. So I love the fact that even though he's been through all of this, right? He's been thrown in a pit. He's been sold as a slave. He's been held a high position in Pharaoh's house to being put in prison, but yet Joseph still has faith and gives glory back to God. Perseverance, right? We talked earlier about how that road, you know, to our path goes like this. It's not a straight line. Well, this is part of Joseph's path where things went a little crazy, right? He ended up in prison for something he didn't do, but he still kept his faith and kept pointing back to God. So Pharaoh goes in to tell him about this dream, and the dream is all about sevens, and, and it's about vines, and it's about other plants eating other vines and all that. And again, unfortunately, we don't have time to get into all that, but we know that as we pick up this story in verse, chapter 41, verse 29, this is what he tells him. He says, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, and seven years of famine will follow them. It says, then all of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. So again, you may be familiar with the story and you know that, that when Pharaoh had his dream, he was basically dreaming about what was about to happen in the land of Egypt. Now this is significant because we're gonna, we're, as we continue this story, this is going to play a really important role for us. But Joseph now knows that there's a famine coming. But he also knows that there's a time of abundance coming. So, he has to make the decision of where do we go from here. So Pharaoh has to figure out, what am I going to do with this new information? So let's pick up in verse 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your order. It says, Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you? So again, we see this path that Joseph is on that had all these twists and turns and ups and downs and bumps in the road, and we're back to him being promoted now basically to be the highest person next to Pharaoh. So Joseph has come full circle once again, right? He went from being foretold that he was going to be in charge to being in a pit to being elevated in the palace, to being thrown into prison, and now he's back on top again. The, to me, this is like real life, right? 
This is how life goes. You think you, you think you know exactly what's going to happen next, and life is going great, and then life throws you a curveball. So then you get back up, and you get past that, and you think, got that behind me, things are going great again, and then your car breaks down, or then you lose your job, or then your roof collapses, and you find out that, guess what, I'm right back where I started again. But, but I love the fact that we have these examples in the Bible, because this gives us hope and gives us courage to know that we're not the only ones that go through these difficult times because they happen sooner or later, right? Nobody gets to go through life and everything is roses and everything is perfect all the way through. Be nice if it was, right? But it just doesn't work that way. That's not real life. So I love that we have these examples of real life. This is what happens in real life. So we've got Joseph and he's come full circle now and he has been elevated to this, to this place where only in respect to the throne will the Pharaoh be greater than he is. So we're going to jump to chapter 42. In the first two verses, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. So now we've jumped forward in our story, right? Because as we just heard, there was going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Now, who was in charge of all that? Joseph was. So Joseph was smart, and they stored up all of these goods during the seven years of, of abundance so that when they got to the seven years of famine, Egypt was the place to be because it had all the good stuff, right? So here we have Joseph. He's now in charge of basically the hottest commodity that could possibly be, and that's food, because they have it and nobody else does. So we've kind of jumped forward to Jacob saying to his sons, and those of you who are parents, we've all said this at some point or another, why do you just keep looking at each other? Go do it. Right? I say that to my son all the time. Hey, Carter, the trash needs to go out. And he just sits there and stares at me. And I'm like, hey, take the trash out. Right? Those of you who have kids, you've all been there at some point or another. I'm not alone in this one. But, but I love the fact that he just kind of calls them out. Hey, what are you guys doing? Go get us some food. So now we, we kind of see the plot is all kind of coming to fruition, right? Because remember, these are the, the 10 brothers, right, who sold Joseph into slavery. And little do they know they're going to go to Egypt to get food, and guess who's going to be standing there? So this is where the story kind of gets interesting, right? This is where the story kind of gets good. This is where your mind goes to, what would I do if I was in Joseph's shoes? Right? Because this is where the story kind of gets, gets interesting. So let's keep plugging away here. Joseph's brothers come to receive food. So they make this journey, right, to Egypt, thinking that they're just going to cruise in and grab some food and go home. Now, here's kind of the cool thing. They don't recognize Joseph. And some of you may be saying, well, that's weird. It's his brother. But you have to remember a couple of things. Joseph was relatively young, right, when his brother sold him into slavery. He was about 17. So if you think back, I think we all looked a little different when we were 17. Some of us would like to go back to that time when we were 17. But they didn't recognize Joseph. So Joseph has... Not only all the power, because he's got the food supply, 
But he also, his brothers don't recognize him. And he's probably changed quite a bit. And we don't know the exact timeline, right? But we know it's been at least seven years of abundance and seven years of famine, plus however many years he sat in jail. So we know it's been at least 14, 17, somewhere in their years that this story has been taking place. So they don't recognize him. So they come to get food. Now, when they come to get food, Joseph has a decision to make, right? Joseph has a decision to make. And it would have been very easy for Joseph just to say, nope, you're not getting any food. Because they basically put this whole plan into motion that Joseph has been going through his whole life. But what does Joseph do? And again, I'm giving you just the Cliff Notes version here. He basically sends them away and tells them to go home and get their brother. Because when they had, when they had come to Egypt, they had left their, their youngest brother behind. And he basically said, you know what, if you guys want food, you got to go home, you got to get your other brother, and you got to come back. He's basically going to make them work for it a little bit. So he, he puts this plan into motion, and he sends them home. And they go back to dad and, and say, hey, you know, they, this guy basically says, if we don't come back with brother, we don't get any food. And dad's going, look, I already lost one son. Because remember, dad still thinks that Joseph was killed. He think, he's thinking, I already lost one son, and now you want to take the youngest son. If something happens along this journey, then I'm not going to have any of my sons. So he puts this plan into motion. So they go home, they do what he said, because they need the food, right? They're in a time of famine. And they send, they, they go back to Egypt. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up in, when we get back to Egypt in chapter 45, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So Joseph finally breaks down and says, I can't do this anymore. These are my brothers. And he makes himself known to them and lets them know who he is. And he was humble. We talked a lot about this last week. We talked about that humility and not being boastful and not being prideful. But put yourself in this situation. This had to be extremely hard for Joseph. It couldn't have been an easy situation for him. And he had to have a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings where he just wanted to say, you know what? Too bad. You guys treated me like dirt. I don't care. But he didn't because he knew that, hey, this is my family. And I have to move past the things that have happened in the past. Put yourself in that situation. What would you have done if you were Joseph? Right? The Bible is all about teaching us how we should behave and how we should react to certain situations because, unfortunately, it's not human nature. The Bible tells us to turn the other cheek, but that's not human nature, right? Human nature is, hey, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. That's just the way we're wired. But the Bible gives us these instructions and gives us these examples of how we ought to behave and how we ought to treat other people. 
So I love the fact that, yes, Joseph made him work for it a little bit. He actually sent them home, and they came back. And that's a whole other story, and you guys are welcome to read that when you have time. But he was humble, and he welcomed them back in, and he gave them the food that they needed to move on. Let it go. You guys are all thinking it, the Frozen song, let it go, let it go. Come on now. When we let things go, when we forgive others, it's not just about them, it's about us. Because when you hold a grudge, when you don't let things go, it's like drinking the poison and waiting for someone else to die. Because it eats away at you, physically and mentally and spiritually. So we have to let things go. If Joseph could let this go with all that he had been through and all the things that had happened to him, then so can we. Right? The Bible says seven times 70, right? He was able to forgive. He was able to remain faithful through all of these things that had happened to him. Now, as you wrap this story up, and again, we just don't have time to read all of this, but as you wrap this story up, we find that Joseph actually leaves this position of power to go home because he knew that in the Pharaoh's household, they didn't worship God. Think about that. He had the second highest position in the land. He was what we would think of as the vice president, and he basically just said, you know what? This isn't what God would have me to do. I'm out of here. And he went home. And that's exactly what we're going to do one day, is exactly what Joseph did. Because we're going to go through these trials and these tribulations and these times of good times and these times of joy. And then one day, it's all going to be over and we're going to go home to be with Jesus. But that's why these stories are in the Bible, is to give us that hope and that encouragement of all these things that we go through, and then one day, it's all over, and we go home. I couldn't help as I was reading through this and I was preparing for this sermon to think of the movie Forrest Gump. I think most of you guys have probably seen that, right? And Forrest starts running, and he's running, and he's running, and he's running, and then one day he just stops. And what does he say? I think I'll go home now. And he went home. And sometimes I feel like that's what we do sometimes, is we run and we run and we try and hide and we run and then we realize, you know what? It's not what it's all about. It's not about how much money can I make. It's not about what kind of power or status can I have. It's about serving God. And Joseph is such a great example of how we do that because he's been through a lot. So... Back to our lenses, long-term lenses, seeing life as a collection of events that ultimately combine to create a legacy over a lifetime versus our short-term lens, which is seeing life as nothing but small moments and living as if every event is an isolated experience. Joseph did a great job of keeping on his long-term lenses despite all the things that were thrown at him. He didn't let the short-term, 
isolated incidents define who he was, his relationship to God, or where he wanted to be. And it may have taken him a while to get there, but he got there. And that's exactly what we have to do, is we have to keep our long-term lenses on. All these things that happen to us here are short-term. They're isolated incidents in the big picture and the larger scale of things. Because someday, if we stay the course, we're going to end up in heaven and none of this is going to matter anymore. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter where we worked. It's not going to matter what kind of car we drove. It's not going to matter the mistakes we made in our past because our long-term goal is to spend an eternity in heaven. So what do we take away from this second half of Joseph's story? Patience. Joseph was so patient through all the trials and the tribulations. Let it go, right? We have to let things go and not hang on to things from our past, not hang on to things that have happened to us, but to let it go. Have a goal. And we know that our goal as Christians are to follow Jesus as closely as we possibly can so that our eventual goal is to spend eternity in the most amazing place that you could ever imagine. And how do we do that? We keep on our long-term lenses. So again, this was just a Cliff Notes version of the story of Joseph. If you want to learn more, it's all there in Genesis for you. But what I really want you to think about is how God used Joseph throughout all of these things that he did and all of these things that have happened to him. I've read the book, guys. We win at the end of the book, just like Joseph won at the end of the book by remaining faithful to God through everything that he went through. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us and for this much-needed rain that we're getting today. And Heavenly Father, as we get ready to leave this place and to go to our separate places, we pray that you'll just be with us and guide us. And Heavenly Father, just help us to keep these long-term lenses on. Help us to never get sidetracked by the things of the world. Help us to never get sidetracked by our problems and all the things that happen to us here. Help us to always remember that that long-term goal is to spend an eternity with you in heaven. And we know that that's what you want for us, Heavenly Father, because if you didn't, you would not have sent your son to die on the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning, as we, in just a moment, Brandon's going to come up and lead us in another song. And if you've never had the opportunity to be baptized, if you've never had the opportunity to put on those long-term lenses and start focusing on where you're going to spend your eternity, you have an opportunity to come forward this morning. We'd be happy to baptize you, not only for the remission of your sins, but to gain the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've been a Christian all your life, but maybe you have some things that you need help with or some things that maybe you've lost track of those long-term lenses. If you want to come forward this morning, we'll be happy to pray with you and help you in any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing. You are my